Hey everybody, Rob North here from the Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades podcast. Just saying that if you like what we do and you'd like to support us financially and get access to exclusive content, you can go to patreon.com slash trrpod. As always, hold fast and on with the show. So I don't know if you fellas got your uh, got your Christmas shopping done. You got to jump on that or anything, but uh, I did today. Mm-hmm. Uh, I went out, started this morning, and then around three o'clock, I went to Target. Got hit by a car. Wait, hold on, oh, um, <laughs> pause button. I didn't there. get hit by a car. I got run over by a car. Because when I say hit by a car, we say, "Oh, somebody backed into my car." No, somebody backed over me, me in a parking lot. Is the car okay? As far as I know, the car is okay. Uh, I know the bumper is okay because the last thing I saw as the car was backing over me and I'm pounding on the, on the of course, Subaru. Uh, okay, I was going to yeah, say, yeah. what type of car? It was a yellow Subaru picture. because yep. they only make them in stupid. Yes. Uh, there was a Choose Life bumper sticker. <laughs> <laughs> they could have very well been the last thing I ever saw. You're up to like 102nd trimester? <laughs> Yeah, you choose, I, I th- choose life. I guess it, at some point that doesn't matter anymore. To be fair, I am for banning very, 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 very late term abortions. <laughs> <laughs> I think yeah, you're in so, your 30s. Uh, I think it's safe to say you've gone full term. But I, I didn't really know how to react. So, like, as this car, like, I see you're backing out and, like, backing, like, down, like, but, like, down the, like, way too far. Yeah. And like I try to step out of the way, and the car is like just like I'm thinking she's doing it on purpose, and I, all of the things that I wanted to say that I wanted to, to just yell at once all came out as "Why are you doing this?" And then she just ran me over with the car because I didn't have anywhere else to go. By the way, do me do me a favor, lift your baseball cap for me a little bit, very, very no, quickly. No, because I, I'm sure that the imprint of the seven stars of the Pleiades. No. Looks, would look looks very very fetching. No, it, I mean, it kind of looked like the scene in Superbad whenever Zeph gets hit, <laughs> <laughs> just slower, slower and with a Subaru, because of course it was. But <laughs> very very slow motion take of the girl getting hit by the bus in Final Destination too. Oh God. Oh, yeah. Man. So uh, Merry Christmas. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> happy fucking Yuletide. A hap hap happiest bunch of assholes this side of the nut house. Um, yeah, what else is there to talk about? Uh, we went to Krampusnacht. As we, as one does. Uh, we we a, enjoy a, our Krampusnacht very much. Again, a uh, massive success. Um, much Mad Elf was drunk. Slayer was awesome. Um, the Krampuslauf was fun. My hangover was one day instead of two days this year. Yeah, even though... My we, favorite part about Krampusnacht is you can set your watch by it, you just look over and Kyle's just wasted. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's 11.15. Well, we were we were all sitting in uh, Miracle, the Christmas pop-up, and uh, we're sitting there, we're chatting, we look over, and then... I, I, here's the thing we know about you. We know that once you go squinty, it's time for you to go home. <laughs> mm. And, yeah, when it looked like you were trying to really figure out what was on the table in front of you, I was like, I... I'm going to finish my Nog-style cocktail and take Kyle home. It is time. I think I'm stupider than I was before Krampus knocked. Well, I mean, if anything, I feel like you would be smarter because you would have killed the bad brain cells and the strong ones would have survived. Oh, that's a good point. Mm -hmm. You're culling the herd. Yes, it's it's encephalatic Darwinism. Yeah. (laughs) 
and that's the name of today's episode. Welcome to Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades, everybody. I'm Rob North. I am your co-host, Chris Miller. And we are joined by Kyle Graper once again after part one of our series on uh, Marshall Applewhite and the Heaven's Gate cult. We were going to be joined by Michael Arnett today. Unfortunately, there's some bad winter weather coming our way. Uh, Mike's car starts losing control when there's about six snowflakes per square mile, so... Uh, he will not be joining us today. Hopefully he will be here for part three, but we proceed forward nonetheless because it's the holidays and our schedules are fucked. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think my next my next day off is next year. You're, <laughs> isn't that great to know your next day off is in a whole new decade? Yeah. I, no, you know, I have uh, I have Christmas Day off. But yeah. Yeah. But it's I get to close it's, Christmas Eve. Yay. But it's not like we're going to record on Christmas Yeah, we're not Day. recording on Christmas Day. We like you guys, but we don't like you that much. No. So... Uh, when we last left off in our story, Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Lou Nettles had pursued a spiritual regimen of New Age, Christian, apocalypse-inspired millenarianism. There's a lot there. Uh, listen to part one to have us unpack that a little bit for you. Um, after living weird little lives in Texas, being all closeted bisexual and stuff, but they both decided to leave their previous lives behind to hit the road all Jack Kerouac style but with aliens and shit going into the 1970s. Uh, of course, a little bit of a content warning. This, uh, of our three-part series, this is probably going to be the lightest of the episodes. Um, we're still putting a content warning in place for the whole series because we are talking about a suicide cult. Uh, some of the stories can be a little bit harrowing. However, of all three parts, this one is probably going to be uh, least likely to possibly set uh, say something that might be uh, triggering to some folks. Um, if you wish to uh, give this series a skip, we totally respect that. And uh, we hope you pick up with us when we move on to our next topic a couple episodes from now. So, uh, again, let's go over our sources. Uh, they are the same as the previous episode. We have Heaven's Gate, America's UFO Religion by Professor Benjamin Zeller. Excellent book, really unpacks the belief system of Heaven's Gate and the processes by which the the cult came to be, and by which Bonnie Lou Nettles and Marshall Applewhite held sway over their members. Uh, he's a professor of uh, religion at Lake Forest College in Illinois. Again, highly, highly recommend this read. We also have Closing the Gate by Deb Simpson. Uh, this book is very, very interesting because Deb Simpson's brother Jimmy was actually a member of the cult, and ended up being part of the mass ritual suicide in 1997. We also have an excellent essay by um, Robert Balch, who is a renowned sociologist from the University of Montana. It's called Making Sense of the Heaven's Gate Suicides. And great, great little piece. He's also uh, known for researching other insular organizations such as the Love Family Cult and the Aryan Nations Gang. And... I highly, highly recommend the podcast Heaven's Gate. This is a 10-part series, relatively short episodes, 30 to 40 minutes, that explore the process of the cult's formation, their practices, and the final events of 1997 through the viewpoints of family members, ex-members of the cult, and one who still believes in Apple White and Bonnie Nettles' message. Yep. And yeah, it, that's that's pretty <clears throat> wild to hear that part. It's a real thing. Like One of the sources that I used is their website. It still yes. exists. There are still two people that are operating this website, and it's deeply bothersome. And I don't believe the website has changed much since 1997. Probably not, but it is maintained. 
It's like maintained. It, it, is it still run on like an Angel Fire server? It, or looks, what? it dis- looks like it. It looks disturbingly like my Zanga from 2001. Oh, God. Oh, God. I totally forgot all about Zanga until right yeah. now. Yeah. That we know what it is. And if you ever need a bigger piece of evidence that we are three white guys in our 30s. Yeah. There you go. <laughs> man, Zanga. There we go. I was a MySpace man. I held out on Facebook for a real long time. I didn't Facebook till I was like 20. I, I jumped on Facebook pretty much after high school graduation, and that was... Yeah, as soon as I got my Pitt EDU uh, email address in 2005, I signed mm-hmm. on. I think we were in, like, the first six months of the rollout. Yeah, I, it's I, all been downhill from there. I remember telling myself that MySpace was going to be the next big thing. How'd that work out? Well... You know what, though? Like, Tom wasn't out there stealing our shit. Zuckerberg's <laughs> the one selling you out. Tom was your friend. Tom was out there, man. Zuckerberg's an asshole. Tom was fucking chill. And Tom didn't look like a cyborg. No. No, he did not. He, Tom, probably not a lizard person. Yeah. If this episode gets deleted without our consent, <laughs> we got zucked. I'm more concerned about me getting deleted without my consent. Because that's the next step in zucking. He might be inside of you right now. <laughs> you, you, you can't see the staring but there's a lot of staring and like head tilts that was a great bit for an audio medium Chris well done yeah, well, we do this. like I said we do have a sign language interpreter here as well <laughs> thanks Jack yeah we appreciate you buddy good dog so February 1973 after making the decision to close down their new age learning center no place that's K-N-O-W place Ooh. oh yes Marshall Herf, Applewhite, and Bonnie Nettles. Fuck it, can we not call him Herf? Herf. I hate it so much. No, I'm not. I'm no. Herf's out. I can't do Herf. Herf hurts my brain. Yeah, I I can't call. It's a cacophonous word, and I do not care for it. Herf's out. I cannot call a man by the same noise I make when I've had too much Mad Elf. Oh God, yeah, that's not in my kitchen, not under my roof. I cannot call a man by the same noise that was coming out of Kyle when he was burping on the ride home from Grandpa's (laughs) knock. Oh, Kyle, you and your beers. It was a Boilermaker that did it, though, wasn't it? It was the Boilermaker. Yeah. Yeah, and however no many other drinks the, like, had. four Mad Elves and the however many holiday disasters we consumed didn't help. But it was the Boilermaker. I had three beers. I got nothing. Yeah. <laughs> I had to drive. I live really far away. <laughs> you know what else we learned? Something that uh, we didn't touch on nearly enough. Michael Arnett is an elegant dancer. That he is. That man, that man was cutting a rug with a drunk woman in a sparkly gold skirt. Yes. <laughs> well done, Michael Arnett. Elegant he was a perfect dancer. Gentleman. I had no idea. Padres got more moves than a checkerboard. He was a perfect gentleman. He is. There was nothing untoward about it, but we were all very, very pleasantly surprised. That miracle. Somebody asked me the other day if they should check it out, and because I. Didn't want them in my bar because they were way too drunk. So I just sent them there because everybody's drunk. And uh, sorry, Spencer. <laughs> it was like uh, I was like it's like an office party, but there's but I don't think everybody's like banging as much. And I was like oh, there might be more banging depending on the night. Yeah, <laughs> but that's what it is. It's a bunch of like middle aged white people just like gyrating weirdly to loud music, loud Christmas music. That we I didn't hear one fucking Christmas song. We really? were there. Not this, one. They started with Christmas music. And I didn't they moved hear. Into other I stuff. didn't hear any Christmas music. We yeah. were there. It was all like the coasters. Uh, there was all kinds of good shit. Jackie Williams was on. Oh yeah, I mean it was good stuff. Yeah. This is going to be shocking, but I don't remember the music at all. Get out of town. Really? You don't say. People kept putting ornaments in my beard. 
That was a thing. This <laughs> this happens. Yeah. <laughs> this will happen. Once your beard gets beyond a certain point, people will decorate. I don't know what level of beard like I'm at now, but I, I don't know. Like I, I might be like sea captain. You're, that, like, you're, you're not... I look like a younger, fatter Gordon's fisherman. You can be in Lighthouse too. You know, I didn't see Lighthouse. So, I didn't buddy, see I'm Lighthouse putting, Buddy, I'm, I'm, I'm putting you somewhere between, like, OG Salt Lake City Mormons and ZZ Top. ZZ Top's up there, because, like, the only thing more than ZZ Top is, like, Wizard. Yeah. Ooh. Like, it, it's like, yeah. It, old school Mormons, ZZ Top, Gimli. <laughs> that's about that's that's the progression. We're just climbing the ladder. So stay tuned for more beard news. That's cool. we're, we're fifteen minutes in, into the we're episode. We're now hour three. We're fifteen minutes into the episode, and all we've established is that Chris doesn't like Marshall Applewhite's middle name. So yes, so Marshall Apple and a half minutes. <laughs> so Mar- I can drag this shit out. <laughs> so Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie <laughs> Nettles. You can go right back in the basement. <laughs> Sorry, Chris. Don't make me get the hose. Okay, let's get this back on track. <laughs> so, this is the ninth time I've started this sentence. Marshall Applewhite and Bonnie Nettles decided to leave the environs of Houston and begin a traveling lifestyle to spread their newly forming belief system to potential new converts throughout the American West. They lived a drifter's life, their only real goal being to acquire and study writings based around a variety of topics ranging from biblical prophecy to eschatology, asceticism, science fiction, ufology, Eastern philosophy and religion, and theosophy. As Applewhite later described it, quote, We studied everything we could get our hands on that had to do with any sort of awareness, spiritual awareness, scientific awareness, religious awareness. Our thirst was absolutely unquenchable, end quote. And renowned psychiatrist Robert J. Lifton would describe this process as a, quote, restless, intense, often confused, peripatetic spiritual journey that aped the grand tradition of Jack Kerouac and the Beatniks, but lacked any of the glamour, end quote. Nothing like good old Beatnik glamour. Yep. Now, during this time, they were flat broke, spending most of their thinly stretched cash on research materials. Now, they would work odd jobs for dribs and drabs of money and would often resort to selling their blood. Now, they lived for days on end on cheap bread rolls. They would often camp out, and most of the times that they did stay in hotels, they wouldn't pay their bill. Now, throughout this period of wondering, the pair began to identify themselves by a new term. Despite their wide interest in more esoteric spiritual works, Applewhite and Nettles never truly forgot their upbringings in the church. Applewhite and Presbyterianism, and Nettles in the Baptist tradition. And one religious text they never strayed from was the Bible, which they always managed to combine with whatever other text they consumed. One part of the Bible they constantly returned to was the book of Revelations. Chapter 11, verses 3 through 14, which in the King James Version reads thus, And I will give power unto my two witnesses, and they shall prophesy a thousand two hundred and threescore days clothed in sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two candlesticks standing before the God of the earth. And if any man will hurt them, fire proceedeth out of their mouth, and devoureth their enemies. And if any man will hurt them, he must be in this manner be killed. These have power to shut heaven, that it rain not in the days of their prophecy, and have power over waters to turn them to blood, and to smite the earth with all plagues as often as they will. 
And when they shall have finished their testimony, the beast that ascendeth out of the bottomless pit shall make war against them, and shall overcome them and kill them. And their dead bodies shall lie in the streets of the great city, which spiritually is called Sodom and Egypt, where also our Lord was crucified. And they of the people and kindreds and tongues and nations shall see their dead bodies three days and a half, and shall suffer not their dead bodies to be put in graves." And they that dwell upon the earth shall rejoice over them, and make merry, and shall send gifts to one another, because these two prophets tormented them that dwelt on the earth. And after three days and a half the Spirit of life from God entered into them, and they stood upon their feet, and great fear fell upon those which saw them. And they heard a great voice from heaven saying unto them, Come up hither! And they ascended up to heaven in a cloud, and their enemies beheld them. At the same hour there was a great earthquake, and the tenth part of the city fell, and in the earthquake were slain of men seven thousand, and the remnant were affrighted, and gave glory to the God of heaven. The second woe is past, and behold, the third woe cometh quickly. Whoa! How the fuck is this the best-selling book of all time? Are you kidding? Revelations is the best heavy metal concept album that's ever been written. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's all the fun of the... Of the, the heavy metal movie without any of the tits or fun. Yeah. Growing up in the church, every single service I sat through, I would just flip back to Revelations during the sermon and just read through it again. Oh, it's rock and roll as well. It's great. Yeah. So while neither of the pair came from a yeah, tradition... Nothing, nothing says rock and roll <laughs> quite like the Bible. What are you, fucking striper? You guys are nerds. <laughs> <laughs> you guys are fucking nerds. So while neither of the pair came from a tradition that focused on apocalyptic thought, there was a wave sweeping of it through of it, uh, sweeping through Christian circles at the time, particularly following the publishing of fellow Texan Hal Lindsey's 1970 bestseller, The Late Great Planet Earth. Have you got, have either of you guys read this book? I've... No, uh, it was it was mentioned a couple times. I kind of yeah. went through it. You can definitely pull out a lot of the stuff that that Apple White cherry picked. Mm-hmm. I didn't oh, read the book cover to cover, but like it's anytime there was a citation, it would link to where that was. Yeah, and you can see how the guy definitely uh, definitely got his money's worth out of his copy of it. Absolutely. Well, uh, it's also kind of like the precursor to all the Left Behind series, and I mean, it's so. It, what it does is it interprets Revelation and other biblical prophecies with reference to contemporary culture and develops predictions for the end times that places them in the near future. It's basically, this is what's going to happen, and it's going to happen like in the next decade. So by July of 1973, somewhere near the Rogue River in Oregon, Applewhite and Nettles finally laid out their new, truly definitive view of themselves. They were the two. The witnesses described in Revelations 11 destined to be martyred and resurrected before an unbelieving world, which they dubbed, quote, the demonstration. They were chosen to fulfill prophecy, had higher level minds than other people. When they were asked to be, well, uh, when they were to be killed and resurrected, they would be transported onto a spaceship to be whisked off to an extraterrestrial utopia, where their bodies would be transformed through biological and chemical processes into perfected beings that would live indefinitely in the evolutionary level above human. Here we have a combination of all of their spiritual interests, a fulfillment of prophecy and a vision of heaven to reflect the Christian tradition, the emphasis on bodily transformation and perfection so often seen in New Age themes, the belief in UFOs and extraterrestrials, and the vision of higher planes of existence and ascended races laid out in Theosophy and Helena Blavatsky's The Secret Doctrine. Now around this same time... This this point in their their dealings is essentially the, the point of no return. Yes. Like... Up until this point, everything they did was fairly innocuous. 
all that. And once yeah, we they were here, part of a much greater wave of like enthusiasm for New Age philosophy and Eastern yeah, philosophy. Yeah, this this is whenever it really goes that. to cult. Yes, this is whenever you really get in on that. This is whenever you really start to see his charisma. Mm-hmm. And as far as all the cult leaders that we're going to talk about, um, he is probably the most purely charismatic. Because the other ones, like um, like when we're talking about Jonestown, Jim Jones didn't really hit you with the old razzle dazzle. He found people that were financially in, like he preyed upon financial instability, mm-hmm. and then you signed all your shit over to him, so you were even worse off. Yeah, and that's how he had you because now you relied on him for everything. Well, what Applewhite doesn't really yeah. do that. Well, what the difference between what Applewhite has and what you get from other people like um, Jim Jones with a the shock Temple, of white hair? Well, and and like Dave Berg with the Children of God, and what they what those other cults do is they bring you in with a far more traditional message. They bring you in with something that is just different enough that may just reject the original tradition you came up in enough that it makes it attractive to you, but it's still familiar. It's still fairly mainstream. Essential oils. <laughs> <laughs> Remember when I said a cult could be as, as simple as a business seminar? Yep. Doterra. <laughs> Oop, gotta answer the door. It's my Herbalife shipment. <laughs> oh, my fit tea. Mmm, <laughs> I don't mind the taste. <laughs> but yes, but so they would bring you in with something that was more traditional, whereas Applewhite stood in front of people and laid out exactly what he believed. Mm-hmm. He didn't dress it up. Now, there was enough of it, of all kinds of different traditions in there, that it, every part of it would appeal to pretty much everybody. Some part of it would appeal to pretty much everybody. But And, and again, this is, this is the point where we have to remind all of our listeners, um, cults don't just get impressionable people or dumb people. No. Pretty much everybody is has the potential to join up with a cult. Yeah. People get caught up in stuff all the time. Whether it be a religious cult, a cult of personality, mm-hmm. you know, a cult built around a we um, haven't really touched entertainment on that. or a business. I, we, on the in the in our denouement on, on three, we'll talk yeah. about uh, how about that works. the cult of personality that gets built up around yeah. these two. So around the same time as they uh really laid out their doctrine. The two published a pamphlet that they would hand out wherever they traveled. The claim Jesus' reincarnation into the modern world was a Texan. This is, of course, a thinly veiled reference to Applewhite. They basically start saying that Applewhite is the reincarnation of Jesus. So in May 1974, the two returned to Houston to proclaim their new gospel, and the first person they encountered was a woman named Sharon, who had been a client of theirs at the Christian Arts Center in no place, now, Sharon was going through some rough times. She was in a bad marriage, had just lost a good job, and was seeking a higher truth to buttress and reaffirm her identity. Remember how we talked about how it's not just gullible people who get pulled into cults. It's people who are looking for something. Now, that's on different levels, but this is that whole idea in microcosm. Now, she met with the two for six days and decided that their message was right for her, and Applewhite and Nettles finally had their first follower. Sharon left her wedding ring and notes for her family, including an 18-month-old daughter, and became a religious wanderer, traveling and preaching the gospel of the two. Her job became uh, became to travel ahead of Applewhite and Nettles, like a Texan John the Baptist, advertising their arrival and arranging audiences to hear them speak. Their canvassing across the country resumed, and for the most part, it was an utter failure. 
Uh, in one instance in June 1974, they evangelized to an anthropology professor at Boise State University named uh, Max Pavisic, who said that the two, quote, walked into my office and asked me to drop everything and leave with them. They were very sincere and intense, but they had weird eyes. They indicated that they would be publicly crucified as a demonstration to the world of their truth and that only a small subset of people who had agreed to walk away from their lives would be able to join them on the UFOs and journey to the higher realms of outer space, a highest level of evolution, a metaphysical state where the mind is evolved out of the body and into infinity, end quote. Uh, needless to say, they failed to get Pavisic to drop everything and join them. And boy, did he hit the nail on the head. Yeah. Boy, did he hit the nail on the head. Because I know everybody has seen Apple White. Mm-hmm. If, if you're over like 27 years old, you remember those videos. They played all the time for a week and a half. And if you have any that. interest in the occult, in cults, in New Age Gone Wrong, if you look, you've seen stuff about Marshall Applewhite on YouTube or on. If, on you, if you've listened to part one and you haven't already, Google a picture of Bonnie Nettles. Yeah. Nettles and Applewhite have the same eyes. And he's right. He's exactly right. It's like. If you watch Silence of the Lambs, whenever we're whenever you're looking at Lecter, his eyes are open a little too much, mm-hmm. and that's what makes it so unsettling. Because every time you see Hannibal Lecter, it's deeply bothersome. Do it again. Watch it again. Watch what Anthony Hopkins, Sir Anthony Hopkins. I'm sorry, the man's a knight. Thank you. Um, watch his eyes; they're open just a little too much, and that's how Marshall Applewhite walked around. 24-7. It was just... Well, it's like the old pictures of Rasputin, but... Yeah, kind instead of. of his eye, instead of Rasputin's dark eyes, Marshall White and Nettle's eyes are both very light. Yeah, they have very bright color. eyes. Yeah. But, it, yeah, it's, it's the same sort of mm-hmm. thing. They're, they're just... Mm-hmm. Yeah, they're just mesmerizing. It's terrifying. Yeah, it's just... It, they... Uh, as they would say in... Uh, as Klaus would say in The Life Aquatics, he has the crazy eyes. <laughs> <laughs> Well, Willem Dafoe has kind of crazy eyes, too. Willem Dafoe yeah. is just kind of crazy, and I think that's why we all respect him so much. Yep. So, adversity would soon rear its ugly head for the two. Now, first Sharon, their first disciple, left the fold and returned home after four months, her guilt at having abandoned her family overriding her desire to see their mission through. Then came the legal troubles. Sharon's husband charged Applewhite and Nettles for credit card fraud for <laughs> using her credit card, and then the two were arrested in Harlingen, Texas. Now, Nettles was immediately released, and Sharon later admitted to letting them use the card, and that charge was dropped, but the police soon discovered that Marshall had a warrant out for his arrest for failing to return a rental car in St. Louis. He was extradited to Missouri and jailed for six months, while Bonnie returned to work as a nurse, apparently under a pseudonym. So, background checks in the 70s? Nope. Well done. How did we as a society survive the fucking 70s? I'm going back to our D.B. Cooper yeah, Go back and listen to our D.B. Cooper episode for more stories about the 70s. D.B. Cooper's like, here's money. One plane ticket, please. Like, to where? He's like, There was a man wherever. who boarded an airliner with nothing but a parachute and a shotgun. <laughs> and they let him on the plane. He just, like, takes the hand grenade out of his pocket. Like, oh, hang on. Hey, you hold this for a second here. I did 5, 10, 15, 20, 20. There you go. Keep the change. Yeah. <laughs> just nuts. So it's so it's 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 worth noting that the two were believers in uh, a principle known as antinomianism, a uh, a term coined by a contemporary of Martin Luther named Johannes Agricola, which meant that for those who had been saved, moral, religious, and temporal laws no longer apply. 
Applewhite Nettles believed that their status as elevated beings and the importance of their spiritual mission permitted them to violate whichever laws they chose. That's convenient. Very convenient. It, mm-hmm. You see it now by looking at videos of sovereign citizens in court. Yeah. There but for the grace of God goes, whoever the hell I want to go! <laughs> yeah. I do not recognize the authority of this courtroom. I'm, it's basically it. it, it <laughs> Applewhite Nettles... Like, Applewhite's trial it was brief, and, and throughout the trial, he claimed that he had been divinely authorized to keep the car. And now, but he, basically, they, they sentenced him to That time. sounds good enough to me. Yeah. I mean, start... he swore on a Bible, he's not lying. I'm going to start using that when I want to expense things at the office. <laughs> I'm, I'm divinely authorized to spend the $400 at cheerleaders that I spent. <laughs> I have receipts. So, <laughs> so Applewhite ends That's up... That's a slow Tuesday, man. That's not good. Are you kidding me? So Applewhite... Applewhite gets sentenced to time served, which is the legal version of saying, get the fuck out of my courtroom. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, and, and he's released in March of 1975. During this period of incarceration, he came to realize that he and Nettles were not really human at all, but extraterrestrials merely inhabiting human bodies. And that Applewhite's earthly vehicle, quote, vehicle, was inhabited by the same alien spirit that had inhabited Jesus Christ. That's right. Jesus was an alien. And I heard he was going to be a Texan. So this is all starting to check out. This is the most believable thing he said so far. (laughs) (laughs) He also abandoned most other occult beliefs and really steered into the whole UFO skid. He also became a firm believer in the ancient astronaut theory. Um, Ooh. Eric Von Denneken, Chariots of the Gods, which I think came out in, uh, the year before. Which is now everything that's on the History Channel between midnight and like 5 a.m. Yeah. I'm not going to say it's aliens. But, but it's, it's aliens. aliens. <laughs> um, and he, of course, the ancient astronaut theory, for those of you who aren't familiar with it, claims that aliens had visited ancient Earth and they placed humans onto the planet, made a whole bunch of monuments. They're, you know, they're responsible for the Nazca lines. They're responsible for the pyramids. Basically, the, the it's pretty much all of the like all of yeah. the ancient wonders. All the ancient wonders. It's basically going well. Well, people couldn't have possibly built this because there weren't white people here. That's basically what it is. Pretty much. It's, <laughs> pretty it's much. like just like look. Just because white people didn't do it doesn't mean it was aliens. Did anybody here ever watch Squidbillies? Yeah. Yeah. Whenever he, whenever the sheriff is covered in tattoos chronicling white <laughs> history, you see these, Russell? They're the Great Pyramids of Egypt. You know who built them? White people? No, but they were in charge, probably. <laughs> yeah. That there's Larry Bird, inventor of the slam dunk. Signature white move. Well, that's well, that's what's weird. That's what's weird. There's a viewpoint with a lot of white supremacists that also cross over with the ancient astronaut theory. Like, they can't believe that not white people did so many of these things. Of course they fucking do. Yeah. It just ignores that if you have 300 years and half a million slaves, you could probably get some pretty big projects done. Yeah. As long as you had good project management. <laughs> this is our ad for Monday.com. <laughs> oh, God. So. Oh, white supremacist. You're... Oh. So... Just, Oh, you're just out there co-opting shit. Now, now nobody can walk around with a Thor's hammer on. <laughs> yeah. It, so basically, what Applewhite believes str- most strongly was that, uh, yeah, ancient aliens visited Earth. They placed humans on the planet and intended to return to collect a select few that had really managed to elevate themselves. And uh, of course, Jesus Christ is a, in fact, an extraterrestrial visitor from the world of the next level. 
Basically, it's like aliens doing what the Royal Navy would do. They would drop off livestock on an empty island, let them reproduce, and then come back a year later. To get, they drop off two cows that come back a year later, they get 20. It's the same principle, just with flying saucers. Now, following Applewhite's release, the two traveled to a spiritual retreat in Ojai, California, where they officially composed a statement of their beliefs and their mission and used the last of Bonnie Nettle's savings to send out a mass mailer targeting groups and individuals associated with new and alternative religions and holistic living. They then made their vis first visit to one of these groups on April 9th, 1975, which is a day that would prove to be a turning point. Introducing themselves as Guinea and Pig, um, Applewhite being Guinea, uh, Nettles being Pig. Which just sounds fair. What, <laughs> what are you implying, Christopher? <laughs> these, the nicknames they make up are so fucking weird. They're great. So fucking weird. And not once did they do Batman and Robin. No, not once. Not once. But man, they just, they're the worst nicknames in the fucking world. And they just keep going, you know, they, they, wait till they get a load of these ones. Yeah. So, April 9th, 1975, they meet with about 50 to 60 members of an L.A. area metaphysical group led by New Age writer Clarence Klug and psychic Joan Culpepper. Now, whatever was said by the two in that meeting, it worked. And between 23 and 27 members of the group, depending on which account you believe, uh, most of whom already somewhat lived on the fringes, Packed up everything and hit the road with guinea and pig. Um, <laughs> it's it's also uh, worth noting uh, Robert Balch's take on this event, where he notes that Klug and Culpepper's group was at something of a crossroads and was kind of falling apart socially already. So many of the members were primed to hear something new. And basically, they got to this group at the right time. Now, the two directed them to all meet at a campground in Gold Beach, Oregon on May 5th, 1975, and... Although all but three members of this group would eventually leave the cult, the two were now founders of a movement, rather than lone spiritual outsiders. Several presentations at college campuses on the West Coast earned them a few more followers, normally joining as individuals or in pairs. But as of September 75, a highly publicized meeting at the Waldport Inn in Walport, Oregon was attended by some 250 to 300 people, their largest crowd yet, and some 30 more attendees decided to drop everything, walk out of their lives, and follow the two. Now, in these meetings, Applewhite and Nettles never really pressured people to join, instead relying on enthusiasm for their message to bring people in, a tactic that seems to have been used by most of the more successful cults out there. It's not, you better join or else. It's, here's what we have to say. If you like it, come with us. We'll teach you more. Yeah, it's kind of a hands-off approach, do you drawing them in with the message. Do you think it, it was the, the more flies with honey approach Yes, that worked? Because I mean, they did a pretty decent job. Mm -hmm. They did a pretty decent for, job. For as niche as the message is. Like, People's Temple gets thousands of people by saying, we believe in equality, we believe in racial equality, we believe in unity, we believe in serving the community. That's a pretty, that's a pretty universal message that a lot of people can get behind. The idea that, you know, Jesus was an alien and we're going to get taken on a starship to an extraterrestrial utopia, a little bit more narrow. Now, by this time, the two were now referring to themselves as Bo and Peep, and the group was Probably calling their best, their best duo. Yes, you know, it, it pretty handily. It, it's a little, little less on the nose than Guinea and Pig, uh, and the group was calling itself Human Individual Metamorphosis. Now, the two, and and every time I have the two written down, it's capitalized. By the way, well, 
As yeah. one does. It's proper now. Yeah, as one does. Uh, the two stress the need to abandon the comfortable trappings of one's human life in order to achieve a higher level of being, demanding that their followers give up their belongings, relationships, and attachments, and emphasizing passages from the New Testament in which Christ speaks about forsaking worldly attachments. Of course, if anybody showed up with money or valuable belongings, these would be given up directly to Bo and Peep, who would, of course, reap the rewards. Now, they were to leave behind everything they owned and loved, and only adults could join them. Children had to be abandoned completely, much as Bo and Peep left their own children behind when they left their marriages. All of these things had to be renounced. Friends, family, media, drugs, alcohol, I know I'm out, jewelry, facial hair, I know Chris is out, and any and all... I'm glad you just said facial hair. (laughs) (laughs) I'm glad you... Thank you. And any and all sexuality, I know Kyle's out. (laughs) So, in spite of all of this, I want to talk for a minute about why people would be attracted to this group. You know, we mentioned that it's not just gullible people that get pulled into cults. It's, again, I think it's people who are, there are people, of course, cults do prey on people that have certain vulnerabilities. But more than folks being vulnerable, it's people that are looking for assurance. Yes. It's people that are frightened. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's people that are, are... these people are vulnerable, and, yeah. and they can exploit that. They're seeking people, security. They, they want something secure. Well, they're seeking security. They're seeking community. They're seeking affirmation. Um, in a lot of cases, especially uh, people that join cults such as these, they are seeking some kind of concealed knowledge. They are seeking some kind of higher knowledge. Um, you know, the sort of thing that you get when you, when you pull your membership from, like, the New Age community and the spiritualist community people who are studying things like asceticism and, and um, theosophy and, and these really niche, you know, occult and, you know, these alternative. Marshall Applewhite views. found people that were confused. Yes. And he offered them a better life. Mm-hmm. That's what he did. And up until this point, he's not really doing anything insidious. He's no. not doing anything evil. No. He's just offering people a better life because... The way he's doing it is bizarre, mm-hmm. but it's we... no it's no different from people who are attracted to the idea of a utopian heaven being pulled into the Judeo Christian message. Right, it's the same principle, yeah. really. And and I mean, there are people who, yeah, I, I mean, there's people seeking knowledge, there's people seeking assurance, and there are people who are genuinely vulnerable. And also, something specific about Heaven's Gate is. When you have people who study New Age, who study the occult, who study esotericism, so much of that study can be so confused, mm. and so it's this big swirling whirlpool of ideas. And when you get these people who come up in front of you and going, this is what we believe, uh, this is what fits our template, but it encompasses all these things that you've been studying, mm-hmm. that's immediately attractive. So some of the other key beliefs of the group are laid out in these initial meetings and these initial gatherings, or at least had their roots in these discussions. Um, The evolutionary level above human, which was the official name for the next level planet, uh, which we will refer to as Tila, uh, was a physical corporeal place where residents nourished themselves with pure sunlight. Residents did not eat, drink, die, or reproduce through sexual intercourse. The figure known as God was the spirit of the most highly developed extraterrestrial resident of Tila, which just so happened to inhabit Bonnie Nettle's earthly vehicle. Huh. No kidding. Yeah. 
There was another race of space aliens out there as well, though. Evil aliens, known as the Luciferians. They falsely represented themselves to humans as God, and their main goal on Earth was to stop human development. They had spacecraft. They could travel through space-time. They were telepathic. They had increased longevity. And they would use holograms to fake miracles, and were in fact responsible for the maintenance of all other religions in the world. They were also carnally minded and used their evil alien genitals to have evil alien sex and encourage humans to do the same, using our evil penises and vaginas to do evil things like experience sexual pleasure and reproduce sexually. <laughs> so they're the fun ones. <laughs> yeah, and this puts Heaven's Gate at odds with just about every other cult there's ever been. I mean, positively even the, chilling. Well, no, even, <laughs> even the all these organisms <laughs> shooting DNA, DNA at each other, I find it offensive. But that's the thing, even the hourly sex-negative cults had some sort of underlying sexual nature, like uh, Children of God. Oh, they were hourly at the very beginning. When you oh. got pulled into Children of God, you got pulled in by a very sex-negative message originally, and then it gets just crazy with Dave Berg and the, and the mm. Mo Letters, and things like flirty fishing, like prostituting for God, God. Yep. things like that. It was, it was a hell of a thing. But Heaven's Gate was always consistently focused on the utter denial of sex, as we will... And that really shows itself in part three. I was going to say, what what part do we want to talk about this one in? Uh, well, that's part three, because okay. we're gonna, that happens later into the 90s, okay. and we're going to talk about that in the last part well, of the series. I wasn't sure how far we were taking it. <laughs> then there were the names. So as 1975 turned into 1976, the two started referring to themselves as Doe and T, monikers that would stick until the events of 1997. The new followers of Doe and T became known collectively as The Crew, but they all underwent individual name changes as well. Early on, Applewhite decreed that they would all adopt biblical names, which is actually a common trend in cults in the 60s and 70s, including Children of God, as I just mm -hmm. uh, mentioned, uh, the Love Family did this for a while as well. Uh, even some of the more successful cults, the Moonies and things like that, I, there were... It was not the Mooney! It was Mooney! <laughs> not the whole cult, but there oh, were... Oh, shit, it's Wayne Brady. Yeah. Freak yourself! <laughs> <laughs> But there were facets of the movies that would do this as well. Hot 2004 takes. Yeah. Uh, but in late 1977, a gathering was called where Nettles and Applewhite brought each member of the tent into a tent one by one and bestowed upon them a new name made up of a three-letter single syllable, usually made of only consonants, or normally maybe just one noun, followed by the suffix O-D-Y. Now, for some, it was merely a shortening of names that they had already been using. For example, somebody who called themselves Seraph became... Uh, ended up becoming Surfati, uh, S R F O D Y, but some were granted to uh, were granted completely new names. Where uh, with someone who had been calling himself Philip becoming Mercati, M R C O D Y. Now where the O D Y comes from, no one is exactly sure. But former members say that the O D part served as contraction to re uh, to represent of God, and the Y was a diminutive, much like how Jimmy is a diminutive of Jim or James. So or like every single hockey player's nickname, and they all yeah. think that it's super clever and that they're just pals. Ah, <laughs> uh, brain trauma. <laughs> so ODY essentially means child of God. Uh, another former member who went by Neo Adi, N E O O D, it's either Neo Adi or Nudi. Let's go with that one. Yeah, I like that one more. Let's go with that one. Explain that uh, ODY was a contraction of Doe and T, which under the phonetic principle of natural relaxed pronunciation becomes vocalized the way it's spelled in the names. So in this case, um, you know, I would be... Like, um, my full name is Robert, so I would probably be Arbrody, R-B-R-O-D-Y. 
you know, Kyle, yeah. you'd probably be Kilati. Chris, you'd probably be not half bad. Megatron. <laughs> well, yeah, you, I, I can't. I'm picking you. a new name. <laughs> I can't tell if you'd either be. Yeah, you, you would either, probably either be Kursati or just Karate. I would honestly, Karate's probably the funnier of the two. <laughs> so we know which one you'd pick. Oh yeah. Oh uh, no! Say which one I'm picking. Megatron. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what is your what is your name for when you ascend to Tila? McLovin. <laughs> <laughs> That's our second reference to that film. Yeah. It's the new Cabin Boy. Well, what was the new Cabin Boy last week? It was, um... the hell did we have on the last one? I don't know. I'd have to come We've back. We've been talking about Kid to... Rock a lot. Ah. Krampus Notch was between episodes, so my memory's just... Killed all those brain cells. It's just completely wiped. I, look, I've just been out here working and getting hit by automobiles. <laughs> I'm just, get, just getting whacked by Subarus in a parking lot. Again, those seven stars on your forehead look real nice. Oh, God. So, after these big initial meetings, followers were put into pairs and sent off into the world, mostly to live ascetically in campgrounds uh, to serve as each other's, quote, check partner and help them overcome their human attachments. Heterosexual men and heterosexual women were paired together, and homosexual men and women were put together in single-sex pairings to force each pair to confront their sexual attractions and overcome them. Uh, and unlike many cults at the time, which were anti-LGBT, Doe and T really didn't care about their followers' sexuality. That was a weird thing as yeah, far as I gonna, went. Yeah. But, I mean, Applewhite had a lot of proclivities. Well, he had a lot of proclivities, but when the idea is that you're going to be getting rid of your sexuality anyway, it doesn't really matter. Yeah. When it, I mean, the idea is that they're not... It's not that they're anti-LGBT because they're pro-LGBT they're anti-LGBT because they're just anti-everything anti yeah, they just they're, every they're just time anti-copulation yeah uh, when in groups larger than the pairs they lived communally they would share all their resources and in public every member was authorized to only carry a single five dollar bill and a roll of quarters is that a roll of quarters in your pocket are you just happy to see me it is it's a... oh, oh. <laughs> because I've gilded myself like oh <laughs> Uh, spoiler alert, part three. <laughs> yeah. Spoiler alert, spoiler alert. Snip, snip. Now, Applewhite and Nettles would communicate with their followers in writing or through assistance, increasingly emphasizing that they were the only source of truth and that followers would not receive individual revelation. Uh, sort of like the later days of uh, the Mormon Church, because it was, mm -hmm. I, going into about the 1860s, it was utterly chaotic. Oh, yeah. Because they based their, their doctrine on revelation, but everybody was having revelation. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And breaking off, there was the one guy they called him like the King of Beaver Island and oh, all that stuff right. like that. You remember that? Mm -hmm. I called myself that for a while. Yeah, it was college. We all had we went, we did some stuff. It was weird. <laughs> <laughs> so, but when you cannot receive individual revelation and everything has to come down from the top, it centralizes their control and it prevents insubordination. Now they emphasize that the crew uh, that the crew practice what they refer to as flexibility which in fact meant strict obedience to their requests, no matter how much or how often they may shift. It's the, the idea of the flexibility is, be flexible from the original doctrine when we tell you to be. They began closing off their followers more and more from contact with those outside the movement, uh, even some people who may have had an interest in joining, mainly to prevent infiltration by journalists seeking to expose the movement, and out of a fear that Applewhite began to develop, particularly as a facet of what was likely paranoid schizophrenia, <laughs> that they would be assassinated. Now, in spite of all this control, Doe and T managed to make their style of leadership seem laid back, and their followers often thought of them as kindly parental figures. Applewhite's style was also deeply entrenched within cult language. 
Arbitrary rituals that were meant to instill discipline in his followers and weed out those whose dedication may have been lacking were referred to as games. No order or guidelines... Uh, other orders and guidelines were referred to as experiments, uh, including everything from diet to the later surgical castrations. Taking one's orders was supposed to feel like reading a Robert Heinlein or Arthur C. Clarke novel. Another quality of Applewhite's leadership at this time was to issue commands in the form of expressing his preferences and nominally offering his disciples a choice, emphasizing that they were free to disobey if they so choose, even though he either knows they're not going to disobey or if you disobey, you are out a call tactic commonly referred to as the illusion of choice. In instilling these practices among their followers, Doe and T are following four main steps that cult leaders use to exercise control over those who choose to follow them. The first step is to isolate a member from their support systems back home, which we see in the demand that new members leave behind their family and friends and making the new members live in small groups in isolated locations far from their previous homes. The second is to make them completely dependent upon the cult for every form of support, removing that home support system and making the cult the support system. From familial and emotional needs to the most basic of survival needs, Applewhite and Nettles do this by demanding that all money, valuables, and possessions are either left behind or handed over to them, and that food, shelter, and clothing all come from the cult. The third step is to constantly occupy the member with work, tasks, or study. We see this taking place when the two make their demands that members constantly focus on overcoming the most basic of human needs and force them to live on campsites and through constantly having to adjust to new demands and measures. When you're too tired, occupied, or hungry to think for yourself, you don't question the demands of your leader. You are more likely to go along with things. You are less likely to rebel. The final step is to remove any trace of the member's previous identity, and we see that in the renaming. When you remove all traces of life before membership in the cult began, then life within the cult forms every aspect of your identity and that makes you more afraid to leave if you leave the cults you leave behind everything that is now your identity everything that is now your situation every aspect of support now the campsite arrangement continued until about 1979 when the group received a large sum of money uh, likely through an inheritance belonging to a member or the donation of a new follower's savings this new capital was used to rent houses, first in Denver and then in Dallas. Two or three houses were rented to house about 40 members, and Doe and T had their own place. The windows were covered with paper, further cutting off access to the world outside. And life within these houses, which were known as crafts, was like a boot camp, regimented to the minute to prepare the followers for Tila. Those who were not able to fully commit to this new lifestyle were encouraged to leave, which is actually something you don't get in other cults and given financial assistance to do so because Applewhite believed in quality over quantity in his followers, though he would often speak of gaining mass numbers of converts. Experts think that it's during this period that the name of the group has changed from the human individual metamorphosis to Heaven's Gate, because it is, it's in their first major media exposure, a book by famed computer scientist and ufologist Jacques Vallée that was released in 1979 called The Messengers of Deception, where he examines UFO cults that they are named as such. Now, during this time, Applewhite and Nettles also undertook several exercises to increase control over their members by testing their devotion and making them dependent on their approval. Primary among these events was an, as an occasion in Texas where all the members were told of an impending UFO visitation happening that night as a rehearsal for their ascendance to Tila, and that they were to wait outside with their eyes to the sky. This also happened to be a cold night where the weather was absolute dog shit, and all members stayed outside without any coats, jackets, tents, any sort of food or drink, and they weren't even allowed to go inside at any point or to go even take a leak in the bushes. 
If you had to take a piss or take a shit, you had to hold it until dawn. You don't want to miss anything. Yeah. This is something Jim Jones did. They, like, false alarms at mm-hmm. the final... I was getting to that. Yeah. It's this idea of rehearsals, this idea of tests of loyalty. This is very, very common cult leader behavior. Now, of course, nothing happened. And come morning, Doe and T told everyone that it had merely been a test of their faith in Tila, and all members present were ecstatic to have been a part of it and to have passed. Now, by the time the new decade dawned, having found housing closer to civilization, Applewhite and Nettles now had about 80 followers, and most of these followers had jobs, mainly as car mechanics or working with computers. Of course, all of this income is going directly to Applewhite and Nettles. It was time to test their devotion again, though. In 1982, Applewhite and Nettles allowed all of their members to call their families. Now, bear in mind that for many members, it was the first contact they'd had in their families in seven years, considering that most of the followers that had been in since 1975 were still part of this group. The next year, 1983, followers were permitted to visit their relatives for Mother's Day, although they were only allowed to stay for one night, and they were instructed to tell their families that they had been studying computers at at a New Age monastery. Dude, the 80s. <laughs> that's a, that's the I mean, only thing I can say to explain that. It's not that wrong. I mean, it, it really isn't that wrong, but... Yeah, so these actions serve several purposes. Now, first, it, again, tests the devotion of your followers to the message, and there were many members who chose not to call their families or to undertake the trip to see their families because they would think it would make them look weak. They thought that choosing whether to do that was part of the test. It lets you weed out those with weaker devotion and allows you to spot potential problems among those members who show it. Now, secondly, it's the leader granting a great boon to his followers. It's seen as a way of increasing their devotion to you and their desire to please you by acquitting themselves in the way that you do, that you ask them to. Now, third, it also gets the heat off of you from the families. In 1975, after the Waldport, Oregon meeting, there was actually a report that Walter fucking Cronkite gave on CBS Evening News about several dozen people who'd gone missing in Oregon after attending some New Age spiritual lecture. That was the group that had gone off to the campsite to go to this gathering. Now, there weren't really any follow-up reports to speak of, because 1975, when that happened, it was also the fall of Saigon. You had the Mayaguez incident. You had a lot of shit going on in 75. Um, I think 75 was the year of both of the attempts on Gerald Ford's life. Including he's one of them. Yeah. Uh, at least 75 was, I think, Squeaky From. I don't know. But... Was from, yeah, From was 75, and then what was the second one? Um, I forget. But there were plenty of, of families wondering just what the fuck had happened to their people. Now, if these people can emerge and say to their families, oh, I've been living in a spiritual retreat, I'm focusing on bettering, bettering myself, I'm there with my own free will, I went in of my own free will, and I'm doing just fine, then it takes a lot of the pressure off of Applewhite and Nettles. And over the first half of the 80s, I mean, it was more of the same. Some followers came, others went, and there were some changes to the practices and beliefs of the members of Heaven's Gate, but none that really deviated from the general principles of Tila that we've already talked about or are worth mentioning here. Bonnie Nettles con- continued to serve as a sort of distant godhead with Applewhite as her prophet, and that she would occasionally make statements regarding the interpretation of signs, the interpretation of prophecy, at the dub, but just about every demand made on the members of the cult came through Applewhite. But in 1983, she got cancer of the eye and had her eye removed, spending the whole time in the hospital under the pseudonym Shelley West, apparently. Huh. 
because turns out the first half of the 80s wasn't a lot of it wasn't all that different from the 70s in terms of you could of what you could get away with uh, her doctor told her that the disease was already spreading and that she, he suggested that she undergo several more treatments to stop it but the whole time she would be making life miserable for her doctors as a seemingly crazy one-eyed woman kept telling them that they were ignorant and they're wrong because she could not die because she and Doe had to ascend together. Yet, they never committed her. <laughs> no. No, they just kind of let that one go. Yeah, they kind of let that one I mean, slide. Uh, the cancer continued to worsen over the following months, eventually moving to her spine, her lungs, and her liver. Oh, she got the fun ones. <laughs> and on June... And on spine June, yeah, yeah, she went. Jeez. She went through some shit in her last days. I mean, she, she, she did... Uh, that, that is one thing. She suffered terribly. Oh, yeah. She really did. Uh, and yes. can, you imagine, can you imagine being so devoted that you are so convinced that there's no way that you have any of this stuff, and then you suffer through it without treatment? Yeah. Good God. At least that answers one question. She fucking believed Did it. Did Bonnie Nettles believe it? Bonnie Nettles fucking believed it. My yeah. God. So, yeah, June 19th, 1985, at Parkland uh, Memorial Hospital in Dallas... Bonnie Nettles was proven wrong, and she did indeed die at the age of 57. Now, this was an absolute hammer blow to Applewhite, of course. Now, whether or not he actually believed that T was indeed the highest universal being in a human vehicle, she was a soulmate to him, the only person who'd ever truly understood him. And while they claimed that they were beyond sexuality, that their partnership was completely platonic, I think he was sexually attracted to this woman. And I think her loss reflects on his even stricter attitudes towards sex after her death, after 1985. Which leads to, of course, the, the old snipperoo incident. And, spoiler alert! Yeah, spoil, well, we, oh, we spoiled this last time. If, if you know, the first thing most people realize about Heaven's Gate is, A, they all killed themselves. B, a whole bunch of them had their balls cut off. Yeah, I mean, the Nikes are probably two, but yeah, the balls well, are up there. I don't know. I, I, most people I know went, mentioned the balls a long time before they mentioned the Nikes. <laughs> oh, is that the one with the balls? Yes. Yes, it is. I mean, I between Nikes or balls, I know which pair I'd rather lose. Are they are they Jordan 1s? Ooh, okay, that complicates the question. I mean, the Jordan 1's <laughs> probably the greatest looking sneaker of all time. <laughs> I'm wearing a pair of New Balances right now. Of course, I don't own Jordan. Ones. Ah, the official shoe of white supremacy. <laughs> Remember when they co-opted that? that New Balance is like what page of eight chan did you get that off of? Oh no, that's whenever Colin Kaepernick got his Nike deal. They're like, never get a deal with New Balance, and the Proud Boys all bought New Balances. And New Balance was like, oh fuck. <laughs> to be fair, in the same way that Nike was like, oh fuck. Oh, whenever fuck. on the news, yeah. there's just a bunch of Nikes up. <laughs> I can't talk. I'm wearing Pumas. Oh, fuck. Oh, fuck. <laughs> what am I wearing? I was wearing Crocs. <laughs> Post Malone no, I... is very pleased with your company. Oh, yeah. It's Post Malone, which I guess is probably the best. I'm actually wearing a pair of Rocky yeah. boots made right here in the go USA. I have a 10-year-old pair of Rocky combat boots. And you know what? Them. If anything ever happens to them, send them back. They'll send you a brand new pair of comparable boots even if they don't make them anymore. How, why do you think I'm wearing these new Rockies right now? Because my old ones were 
totally fucked. I actually did not know that. Yeah, not brought to you by Rocky Boots, but they got a hell of a warranty. So okay, no, I actually have some thoughts on this. Applewhite had clearly suffered a major blow because Bonnie was a soulmate to him, the only person who'd ever truly understood him, and her loss would lead to serious changes within Heaven's Gate. That's right, motherfuckers, we're back on track. <laughs> <laughs> the only loss was New Balance, yeah. brought to you by the Proud Boys and Rob. <laughs> <laughs> I would make the worst proud boy. I would make the worst proud boy. They lot they'd lose me. I mean, first off, the whole like white supremacy, anti-feminism thing. They'd lose me on that. They'd also lose me on the whole don't jerk off thing. They don't jerk off. They don't jerk off. They don't believe in jerking off. Yeah, right. They don't believe in jerking off. Yeah, fuck it, right. No, they the the official quote unquote official platform. Okay, proud boys. Okay, proud boys. The official platform is they don't jerk off because. Because they believe that sexual pleasure could o- should only come from a submissive female partner. Okay, proud boys. Okay. Other than okay. Their big, proud boys, circle jerks, right? Of course. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does yeah. it? Where is it that they are all like obviously closeted homosexuals? Oh, dude, there, there is that in there? Is it written down, or is it just like, is it, it like the winking emoji at the bottom? Uh, according to their news page, ninety nine point six percent. Of all Proud Boy semen is milked out by Proud Boy butthole. That sounds right. Yeah. Fuck the Proud Boys. That is the official. <laughs> that is the official stance. Even Papa John called him out. Yeah. <laughs> is that is that a part of the day of reckoning? Oh yeah. God. I can't wait for our Papa John episode. Yeah. So right, I'll be right after our Kid Rock murder suicide episode. <laughs> So Robert J. Lifton speculated that Bonnie's loss led to a serious breakdown or perhaps even a full psychotic break for Applewhite. And at the very least, he'd lost someone whose presence and guidance had helped alleviate the symptoms of his paranoid schizophrenia. The members of Heaven's Gate rallied around Doe at this time and were very supportive in their collective time of grief, but he was still driven into a deep depression. He had her body cremated and the ashes spread over a lake somewhere in Texas. Now, no one knows exactly where. Now, in addition to the shockwaves rolling through his mental health, Applewhite had another problem with the loss of nettles. How does how to make a cult survive the loss of a figurehead, which has doomed so many cults before? And also, how does he explain Nettle's death when the whole idea that they'd be as, is that they'll be ascended to Tila body and all? Like, she's dead and left her body behind. He began to proselytize the idea that she had... It's an easier pivot than you would think. Yeah. He, he, he does pretty well. I yeah. Don't. He begins to proselytize the idea that she had too much energy to remain on her. And he immediately set about damage control through modifying the doctrine. Now, despite his deep despair and episodic schizophrenic events, he emerged quickly with four ways or methods for a member to ascend to Tila once they had perfected themselves through the quote-unquote process. One, physical pickup on board a spaceship from Tila and transfer to a next-level body on board that craft. Two, natural death, accidental death, or death from random violence. Here, the quote, graduating soul... Is instead collected by is instead collected by a telecraft and still placed in a next level body, but the earthly vehicle is left behind. Three death by outside persecution, resulting in very much the same process as option number two. Now this was right after the 1985 siege of, a, uh, of the compound of a white supremacist terrorist group known as the Covenant Sword and Arm of the Lord, uh, that was seen as like a precursor to Ruby Ridge and Waco. But so that this. In 1985, the idea of fringe religious groups being crushed by the government or by state persecution is really starting to gain traction. Jesus Christ, white supremacy came up a lot in today's episode. Mm-hmm. 
Well, I mean, you're the one wearing the shoes. <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Finally, option four. Willful exit from the body in a dignified manner that would allow the graduated soul to be picked up and placed in a next-level body. Mm. We'll just we'll see how dignified that manner ends up being in the next episode. Foreshadowing. Yep, foreshadowing. Sport. Now, Applewhite claimed that Nettle still communicated with him telepathically. He also organized a symbolic ceremony in which he married all of his followers in an attempt to maintain unity. He told his followers that he had been left behind while T had ascended because he still had more to learn and that she occupied a higher spiritual role than he did, thereby granting the call to figure that was part godhead, part martyr, and part paragon. So it's like having Jesus Christ, Jehovah, and Buddha all rolled into one. He began identifying T with masculine pronouns, identifying T as the father. What he'd also done in a way was making himself less vulnerable to criticism. If he's in full control of determining the doctrine, and everybody knows he's in full control of determining the doctrine, then he bears full responsibility in the eyes of the cult's members and is more likely to drive members away. But with T fully ascended, he is merely a middleman. He's only a messenger delivering the doctrine instead of creating it. So when you have a piece of doctrine that comes down that the members are supposed to follow, no matter how fucked up it is, he carries no blame. He is merely the messenger from this incredibly ascended being. You are receiving revelation from God himself. Whatever he tells you, don't shoot the messenger. It's not coming from me. It's not coming from an earthly vehicle. It's coming straight from something whose powers you cannot possibly imagine. That's basically what it becomes. He's really playing with the Joseph Smith handbook. Uh, actually, no, that's a, that's a very, very apt comparison. Now, Applewhite took full advantage of this new role, making the hierarchy within the cult far more strict and teaching that the members needed his guidance alone, of course, as the messenger of T. This ensures no possibility of the cult surviving beyond Applewhite's death. This is a page out of the Jim Jones playbook, which is a curious part of the nature of cults that we'll discuss next time. His followers were encouraged by T to see Doe as Christ on Earth, that individual choice was no longer the driving factor in achieving the next level, that it was now all about submission to authority and carrying out the will of T, which of course is actually the will of Applewhite. He focused far less on the sci-fi aspect of things and far more on faith, and the focus of these religious exercises was almost entirely based around uh, eschatology and apocalyptic prophecy. He gets a lot more fire and brimstone. He focuses far more on the idea of the Luciferians, those uh, sexy, evil alien adversaries, and the denial of the things they espouse, particularly in relation to sexuality. In spite of this shift, only one member left in the six months following Bonnie Nettle's death. Now, as his outlook became darker and his mental state deteriorated in the wake of Bonnie Nettle's death, Marshall Applewhite would begin setting the stage for the craziest part of the story by far, and as the death cult golden age of the 1990s began, everyone would be in for a final tragic endgame. And we'll explore that next time in the final part of our story on Marshall Applewhite and Heaven's Gate. So, part two. It's hard to believe that this was the softest episode. Yeah. But it is. It is. It definitely is. That's the weird part. Really, we, we covered a lot of ground. We covered a lot of time. We lost one of the main characters, but like, shit didn't even get that weird yet. Yeah. 
It's uh, as far as being the Empire Strikes Back of this cult. I I just yeah it, I don't know man. Because next so you're saying it's more John Wick too. Dude, all I'm saying is enjoy this part of the story because next time it goes fucking crazy. Yeah, as as Apple White clearly loses his mind, this will accelerate at an exponential rate. Like it's it's going to go to full on light speed. Here. Not only that, but they start bringing in the internet. They start bringing in technology. They were probably the first ones to effectively use the internet. They go full I mean, techno. They're, cult. they're the first internet cult. Well, it's yeah. in a lot of where their money came from too. Yeah, yeah. they go into they go into online business. They become one of. The... It still works. Yeah. The site's still fucking there. I mean, a lot of these guys did IT work, and they made a shitload of money. And they saw none of it. No. <laughs> nope. I mean, that it's it's insane. It all and it goes to a higher plane. And it gets really dark as well. Yeah. And we're going to start going into the testimony videos. We are going to start getting into um, the story of Deb Simpson's brother. Um, we might have a bit of a flashback period where I talk about Jimmy Simpson... And his background a little bit. But, yeah, it's going... Uh, man, you think we needed a content warning on the last episode? Oh, boy. Part three is going to get weird. Yeah, the so, next one's yeah. the next one's pretty rough. I mean, there's... We, we run pretty much the full gamut of weird religious shit that you could possibly do. Just there's, about everything. There's castration, flagellation. Like we, we hit pretty much all of it. Purple sheets. Mm-hmm. And it would culminate in purple sheets. Yeah. Maybe oh, I'll just man. instead of that, instead of like the uh, the, I mean, the videos, I'll, to, I'll just to be link fair, to the. I think I've culminated in a pair or two of purple sheets. Oh, I blame, I blame the Luciferians. Oh God! <laughs> I blame the aliens. I just like, put on the old Saturday Night Live cold open where Will Ferrell was Marshall Applewhite. Did you ever see that one? Yeah. And then the aliens show up. <laughs> Everybody's just like really pleasantly surprised. They're all no, just having fun. that's when they do the ad for New Balances. Keds. Or, or, no, yeah, it was Keds. Keds, Keds were level-headed Keds. Christians. Level-headed Christians. Keds. <laughs> well, yeah, we'll talk about some of the legacy. Yeah, I, I like that well. you tried to talk your way out of your New Balance situation. Fuck you. <laughs> Not today, friend. <laughs> I'm just so, over yeah. here with my kids. <laughs> so if you'd uh, if you'd like to um, if you'd like to follow <laughs> if you'd like to follow the podcast, which as I I. I Absolutely no links to the Proud Boys. <laughs> Rob at proudboy.im.1. <laughs> where, can they, where can they find us? At slash shoes. <laughs> uh, you, can, uh, you can shoot us an email at trrpod at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. Slash fat, fat, fat. <laughs> <laughs> if you have any questions, comments, concerns, corrections, if you know something we don't, uh, we'd definitely love to hear from you there. Please shoot us an email. Yeah, because we don't know shit. No, eh, we try. Fake it till you make it, man. It's like yeah. every single day at work. Uh, Instagram, you can hit us up at TRRPod. We are at Podcast TRR on Twitter. And yeah. go ahead and just give us a follow on Facebook. All you have to do is search Thieves, Rogues, and Renegades. If we're not deleted after this podcast. Yeah, if we don't get zucked. Yeah, if we get zucked. Get zucked. We got zucked real hard the other day. I don't remember what the post was, but it was real hard. Yeah. Because, like, uh, if you run a Facebook page, it'll tell you how many insights you have. We usually have several hundred. Mm-hmm. The one was like 30. Yeah. Like, I don't know what it was, but the algorithm didn't love it. Mm-mm. So I'll probably post that one again. Uh, and if you're enjoying yourself, and uh, tis the season. Of course. We already missed the day of giving. <laughs> but yeah. it's not too late to make amends. And you can follow us at Patreon. 
www.patreon.com slash trrpod for as little as one dollar a month you can keep the drive alive you can help us do all the things that you enjoy on here and all the things that we enjoy providing for you yep if you like what we do if you think the work that we do is uh, worthy of a little bit of cash uh, by all means go on the Patreon page we will definitely appreciate your support we're going to start generating some Patreon specific content I know we have Kyle on here Kyle you love movies I think we might do some uh Reviews of some pirate movies, something oh, like that. We'd love to have you on for that. Without like getting shut down for that, can we like twitch it? Possibly, we could probably twitch it. I feel like I feel like this is a discussion that's not meant to be had on the air. But I, like, if anybody's listening that knows a damn thing about yeah. Twitch, um, send us an email. I assume a movie's a no go. There was the one dude, and they mm. finally shut him down. But he used to uh, Twitch stream all the pay per view fights. But he would be down a little bug in the bottom third with a remote, con- like a little controller. Oh, I don't think so, we, I, I doubt we'd be <laughs> so able to look like yeah. him. <laughs> I doubt we'd be able to twitch the uh, the movies themselves. I think just uh, maybe streaming a. Uh, you could do a, a commentary track or something yeah, that could be commentary similar. track. You can definitely do a commentary track over something. We just got to figure out how we're going to do it. I yeah, have to use that film degree I paid for somehow. Mm-hmm. We just got to build a studio. <laughs> um, thank you to uh, all the companies that provided our dis- uh, delicious Christmas beers, or in Chris's case, a Halloween beer. Uh, Fatheads Brewing. I wanted to finish my last Halloween beer. I've been saving it for a special. I don't blame you. Uh, Fatheads Brewing for their uh, Holly Jolly Christmas ale. Uh, Kyle, what do you have over there? Uh, Anderson Valley Winter Solstice, which is delicious, pretty beer. exceptional. Yeah, uh, I am enjoying a Great Lakes Nosferatu 2019. Hell yeah! And because it's Heaven Gate, Heaven's Gate, I'm also drinking Helltown. Yep, cool. So I am drinking I am the, uh, the Mischievous Brown, Brown Ale. Hell yeah, my personal favorite. Yeah, so special thanks to all those uh, fine breweries. Um, by all means, monetize our shit if you want us to pimp your product. Um, yeah, so of course. Uh, special thanks as well to the uh, the Bloody Seaman for the use of their music. Special thanks to Jack, the Christmas dog, for being a uh, very, very, very good boy. I don't know where he wandered off to. He's, he's around here somewhere. He didn't go he's far. Being, he's being pretty quiet. Well, it's because they had to put a bunch of rugs out in the kitchen. Yeah. So, uh, <laughs> yeah, stay tuned, because next time it is Heaven's Gate, the final chapter, and it is going off the rails. Until next time... It'll hit you like a car in a parking lot. Yep. <laughs> Enjoy your. I hate Target so much. If I would have died there, I would have been even more pissed off. Yeah, (laughs) gonna haunt the shit out of that parking lot. Anywho, haunting the shit out of that parking lot. Uh, Yes, everybody, please enjoy your holidays. Be safe. Be well. Travel safe. Enjoy your time with uh, your biological family, your chosen family, whoever you may be spending time with. From uh, three right jolly old elves here in Chris's kitchen, we raise our beers to you and we say, "Happy holidays and hold fast." Why are you doing this to me?